0: In 2006, a story appeared in the Associated Press uh, in Findlay, Ohio, um, at, on November 9th of the year before 2005, at age 98, a woman died and bequeathed her entire $1.1 million estate to the federal government to help pay down the national debt, which at the time... Was only $8.1 trillion. The news came out this week. We're at 22 currently. Her attorney, Tom Drake, who was also the executor of her estate, said that his client made it, quote, very clear about how he wanted her to, di- or how she wanted to dispose of her fortune after her death. The woman staunchly believed that the national debt should be paid off, and she wanted to do her part. Her attorney said, quote, it's not what I would have advised her to do with it, but she really wasn't interested in my opinion, end quote. (laughs) When the press interviewed her cousin for the story, uh, her cousin said, she told me once that she wasn't planning on leaving anything to family, but uh, she didn't tell me exactly what she was going to do with it, but said that, quote, a lot of people would benefit, end quote. Right. <laughs> okay. Sure. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm really glad that there are people out there with that, uh, that mindset that, that they've got, you know, gifts that they want to use to help other people. But man, that is a drop in a huge bucket that probably could have been used to do way more good somewhere else. Can I get an Amen. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I mean, if (laughs) I had to use Google to help me with the math. Her gift eliminated 0.00005% of the national debt. (laughs) Just a little bit less than we needed. Um, It's a wonderful gift. I mean, it set a great example. But unfortunately, the results will not be measurable in any way, shape, or form. Don't you think? That if she could have just, I don't know, read the minds of the people in her community, that she could have given her gift somewhere else and it would have made a much bigger difference to more people. That's kind of what I think. I, I want to thank you for being here today. I'm glad you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you. Uh, when the service is done, I'll be down front. Please come say hi. My name's Casey. I'd love to learn yours. For those of you watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate those of you who do that. Um, if you would, when you're all done, uh, jump away from the stream. Fill out your online connection card. Let us know that you're watching. If you haven't filled out your paper one in here, please do that. Also, that really helps us care for you better. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a sermon series called Superpowered. And we're looking at some of the spiritual superpowers that God gives His people. Um, you know, superheroes are really popular right now. This 2019 is the greatest year in history for superhero movies. It's just kind of the, the, the spirit of the times. But God has given His people, these powers through the, through the Holy Spirit that comes into their life when they became a Christian, and has gifted and enabled them the abilities uh, to do these amazing things. Today's power is telepathy which is the ability to read minds and influence people's minds. How many of you, raise your hands, would like that power selectively? You know, you can turn it off and on, right? Because you don't want that burden all the time. You know, only God is big enough to handle that. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, I actually can manifest that power occasionally, all right? I want to show you. I can only do it a couple times a day, so I've got this service and the next one. But I just, let me show you what I mean, okay? Just a second. Somebody in this room right now is thinking, What's the special occasion he's wearing a tie? (laughs) Was I right? Was I somebody? Yeah? Okay. Well, the deal is our superhero today is Charles Xavier, a.k.a. Professor X. And he's normally pictured wearing like a shirt and tie or a kind of a gray suit. That's typically. So instead of spandex and a cape, this guy wears a suit and tie. And he has this power to be able to read people's minds. There's a picture of Patrick Stewart playing him uh, in the X-Men movies. I figured it would be better for me to wear a, a tie than shave my head. That was, that was the compromise uh, today, you know. Uh, in Marvel Comics, Charles Xavier is a member of a subspecies of people known as mutants. They're born with superhuman abilities, genetically they're different from the rest of us. Professor X has a genius-level intellect and is one of the most powerful psychics in the Marvel universe. He has ESP, extrasensory uh, perception. He has telepathy. He can read minds. He can manipulate people's uh, thoughts and make them like see, you know, see things that aren't really there and he just has this ability, this insight into people's minds. He was also born into an incredibly wealthy family. And so he started a school uh, to help young mutants learn how to use their powers to benefit mankind and not become supervillains, okay? Basically, what Charles Xavier can do is look deep into someone's mind, see their greatest need, and figure out a way to help them. And I, when I was thinking about the various spiritual gifts and the way that they work, it seemed to me that there are two that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12, verse 8 that kind of function the same way. They kind of do the same thing. So open your Bibles, if you got them, your Bible apps, to Romans twelve eight. Now, the gifts we're going to look at today are two totally different gifts, all right? Completely separate. Um, but they, they both kind of orbit in this realm of really helping to meet needs. In fact, you might have a really strong gift in one and have zero of the other, all right? And I know for a fact that there are people in this congregation who have one gift really strong and very little of the other one, all right? So th- th- these two things do not necessarily have to be lockstep one with another, but they both kind of do the same thing for the body of Christ, all right? Th- they both accomplish this same thing of meeting people's needs. Here's where I'm going with this this morning. Here's the big idea. The church needs people who are focused On the needs of others. The church needs people who are focused on the needs of others. Some of you have the spiritual superpower of telepathy. You can see people's deepest need and just by supernaturally gifted by God, find ways to meet that need. Now, just like in previous weeks, we're going to use the same format, the text, the tale, and the truth. Here's the text. We're going to look at Romans 12.8. Let's look at this passage together. Read this with me, okay? Uh, Romans 12.8 says, now we're going to pick up in the middle of a sentence here, okay? If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's Romans 12.8. Now, over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about the gifts of encouragement. That's next Sunday. And the gift of leadership. That's the week after that. Today, I want to focus our attention on these two gifts of showing mercy and giving. Okay? Those are the two that are underlined there in the passage. Through through this whole uh, segment of the text, Paul is using the same structure. He's saying, if this is your gift, here's how you use it effectively for the church. If this is your gift... Here's how you use it just over and over and over again. It's that same structure. If this is your gift, here's how you use it for the church, okay? So this is one of those passages that looks really simple on the surface, but when you drill down on it, when you really kind of dig in, it gets much richer. (laughs) The experience of it becomes much greater. So I want to just kind of drill down on these words and what they mean. So first he mentions the gift of giving. He says, if that's your gift, do it uh, generously. The word translated giving means to just, it's real simple, it's to share with somebody else something that you have, all right? The word translated generously means freely or openly or with liberality, not making a political comment there, it just means to be. Free with your stuff. You know, yeah, it's open-handedness, okay? Now, there's an interesting way that this word, it doesn't get used a whole lot in the New Testament, but some of the times it appears, it also has this kind of secondary, second-layer, undercurrent meaning of sincerity. The word translated generosity there, or generously, can also mean sincerely at, at times. Here's what I think this is saying. At its core, what Paul is saying here is, if your gift is giving then give with no ulterior motive. I think that's really what he's getting at. that The people who have the gift of giving don't have any motive behind it. They do it because it's simply the overflow of God's grace in their lives. That that when, when Jesus came into their life, forgave their sin, when they acknowledged him as Savior and Lord and were baptized and received the Spirit of God, and God gave them His grace. He gave them the gifts of His Spirit. The way it comes out of them is through giving. That their motivation really doesn't come into play at all. It's just, that's, what, that's who they are. That's what they do. They just do that naturally. It just comes out, okay? So that's one gift. Here's the second one. It's this gift of showing mercy. And it says, if that's your gift, to do it cheerfully, The word show mercy means to show compassion or or caring for someone or, um, you know, to to show kindness to someone who's in serious need. That there's a recognition that there's a lack in their life, that there's there's a problem there. And it means to show kindness to them, to show concern and care for them, all right? Um, And he says if that's your gift... If your gift is to see people with, with desperate needs and show kindness to them, then do it cheerfully, he says. The, the word means to be in a state of happiness or, or gladness. Um, now, now, what's interesting here is the word translated to show mercy is really a unique word. It only appears a few times in the New Testament. Um, one is in reference uh, in, in earlier in Romans, or yeah, earlier in Romans nine sixteen. Where it says, Paul there is talking about God's choice to save us in Jesus. And it says, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. That God saw your spiritual condition. He saw that you, apart from Christ, listen to me, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, apart from Christ, just like we sang about earlier, you are in desperate need. And God saw that and he loves you. And he sent his son to die on the cross in your place for your sins and rise again on the third day to meet that need. That God's salvation of you is an act of God's mercy in your life. It's him showing kindness on you in the moment of your need and sending his son Jesus to be your sacrifice. The word that John used earlier, your propitiation. He died in your place, he paid the penalty for your sins. That's what, that's what the, it's, it's seeing a need and going, wow, how, what do I need to do to meet this need? That's what Jesus did for us. And people with this gift do the same thing for others. And they do it, the text says, cheerfully. They do it cheerfully. It appears only here in that exact form. Now, it's interesting that the Greek uh, word that is the root of that word is also the Greek root of our word, hilarious. Same, same root. Okay? H-I-L-A-R is to be the root of that word. So it's this idea that someone who's showing mercy is, like, thrilled about it, happy. Like, they're kind of giggling, right? Like, this is fun. This is great. I love this, you know? So if you want to know if you have these gifts, let me give you a couple tests, okay? Uh, Number one, here, here, if you want to know, do I have the gift of giving? When the offering plate comes by, if you have to kind of suppress a giggle, (laughs) you have the gift. If you can't wait for us to quit singing so you can give, you have the gift, all right? And here's the thing, if if it's not because of a sense of duty or obligation or even out of necessarily love for Jesus, it's just like, I just got to do this, man. It's just this inner spiritual compunction, right? I just got to do this. It, 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 you know, like, yeah, please, pass the plate. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this moment, you know. If, if you have the gift of mercy, you're the kind of person who, I'm not going to look at her because she's in the room right now, but giggles when she talks about the food pantry, right? Like, this is exciting. Like, look at how we're helping these people. This is awesome. This is so great. Like, I can't wait to do this. Like, when you see the homeless guy at the corner of the off-ramp of the interstate, you start digging through your car. Do I have food? Do I have money? Do I... It, that, then you, you have that gift. Now my guess is, some of you right now have this question rolling around in your mind. Some of you are thinking, see this is telepathy, right? Uh, some of you are thinking, but Casey, you and Fred and everybody I've ever heard in church have said over and over and over again that we're all supposed to give, and we're all supposed to show mercy, so what's the difference here? It's a good question what's the difference between those of us who, are, who have the gift versus those who just know that we should do those things, okay? Some people would say it's the motivation behind it, that if you do it because you have to or, or, or because you feel like you should, that you may not necessarily have the gift. It's still, it, listen, it's, it's good and right. P- people people um, downplay the significance of the word should, if you do it out of a sin, there's nothing wrong with duty, right? There's, that's, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with honor. That's a good thing. And going, yeah, I'm sure, I'm going to be part of this, you know, the, the verse that we've used here at Chapel Rock over and over and over again from 2 Corinthians 8 to excel in the grace of giving, you know, to go, okay, yeah, let's, let's do this. That's a good thing. So, but, but that may not be the motivator necessarily for somebody with this gift. Okay? Others would say that it has to do with the results of the gift being used. That somebody with the gift of mercy, somebody with the gift of giving, um, gets bigger and better results than somebody without the gift. The People without the gift who do it as a discipline or as a duty, they, they're doing good things. But people with the gift, it just goes further. It just does more. It's just, it makes a bigger impact. So is it motivation? Is it results? Ah, maybe. I don't know that that's necessarily the big thing that that differentiates the two. I think the big thing is this. Ultimately, it's the difference between discipline and overflow. People without these gifts have to exercise discipline to practice them. People with these gifts just do it naturally. that's I, to me, that's the biggest difference. That people with these gifts, it's just the overflow of grace in their lives. It's kind of like you can't stop them. You, you, you just you can't you can't do that. They just naturally do that because they want to help. You know, um, in the X Men movies, a lot of times Professor X will use his powers, just, he's trying to help, you know, and, and the villain Magneto wears this helmet so he can't, he can't get in his head, you know, it's like, are you messing around in there, leave me alone. Um, it, it's just the overflow out of their lives, it's just who they are. And I want to show you a great example of someone in the New Testament who did that, her name is Tabitha, that's the tale that we're going to look at this morning. Okay, Let me give you a little background. Acts chapter 9 begins by talking about Saul's conversion experience on the Damascus Road and his decision to use his Roman name, Paul. Some of you maybe have heard before that, that Paul changed his name. I don't believe he did. I think Paul had three names, just like we do. My full name, Casey Jonathan Scott, my full legal name. Paul was his middle name, his Roman name. Now, his family was Roman citizens, right? So Saul is his first name, his Hebrew name. They were Hebrew family all right, living in in, uh, Tarsus, and um, then Paul, middle name, and then there's probably a last name that we don't know, okay, that was was somehow connected with their family, all right, so he just begins to use his middle name, all right, And, and it's about that time that he begins to preach the Messiahship of Jesus so boldly that the church is really starting to be persecuted, it's like, you know what, Paul, why don't you just go hang out back home for a while and let things cool down here? Because uh, we're all getting heat because you're so stinking hot in the pulpit, all right? So, and we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But right now, open your Bibles, your Bible apps to Acts 9, all right? Once the believers send Paul off to Tarsus, things quiet down a little bit, and, and the, the focus shifts back to the apostle Peter, and so in Acts chapter 9 and 10, Peter's traveling around Palestine, encouraging and equipping Christians. He's in this little village uh, called Lydda, and while he's there, he heals a paralytic named Aeneas. Guy can't walk. Peter restores his ability to walk. The, the church leaders in the nearby town of Joppa, remember where, where um, Jonah sailed from? He was running from God, same town, okay? Modern day Jaffa is where, what it's called today. Joppa hear about this, and they're, Peter's nearby, like, hey, um, come, we got a need, you, you come here, all right? And so our text today follows right on the heels of, of that event, that this tale that we're going to look at. The end of Acts 9 tells the story of a woman, I believe, who had the spiritual superpower of telepathy. Look at Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36 with me, okay? In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, in Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. Look at this. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, you think? (laughs) And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon, which sets up the whole narrative then of Acts chapter 10. This story is about a disciple named Tabitha. She's also called Dorcas. Both names mean the same thing. They mean gazelle. Tabitha's Hebrew, Dorcas is Greek, They both describe something that's graceful and beautiful. Now, we don't know what she looked like on the outside, but her soul was graceful and beautiful. I'm going to call her by her Hebrew name, Tabitha, okay, as opposed to Dorcas, so y'all don't giggle every time we talked about her. All right? So that would be rough in junior high if your name was Dorcas. That junior high would be hard. That would be be bad. Um, So we're going to call her Tabitha. The text says that she's always doing good and helping the poor. All right. Verse thirty nine tells us that her energies were chiefly devoted to helping destitute widows in the first century world. If you were a widow, you, especially a childless widow, you had nothing. You were completely reliant on the the, the, the generosity of the people in your community. All right. And, and the way that Luke constructs verse thirty nine is important. The passage literally says that she was full to overflowing with excellent deeds. But these are not excellent deeds for a king or an emperor, or a governor. These are excellent deeds done on the behalf of the marginalized and the weak and the people at the fringes of society, the people who had nothing else except the church. Now, this is really interesting what Luke does here in in his grammar. The verb translated helping in verse 38, that she was always doing good and helping the poor, is a compound word, all right? It's a compound word. It's made from two words. The verb to make, to to create, to craft, right? And and the, the noun sympathy. What Tabitha was doing was crafting compassion. She was creating sympathy. She was making goodwill toward the poor. That was her ministry. She saw into their hearts and minds. I believe she had the spiritual superpower of telepathy and was able to see what they needed and, and give them exactly what they needed in that moment. They just, overfl- they just overflowed out of her life, which is a great model for us. Now look at verse 37. It says, about that time. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth? That the enemy attacks right at the moment where we're being the most effective. Effective. And when things are, seem like, man, there's going well, like, oh, man, Satan's coming after you now. <sighs> About that time, she's attacked by a sickness, maybe from the enemy Satan, we don't know, but it puts an end to her service. She gets sick and died. And we know that she died because the text tells us <laughs> that her friends washed her body. In the first century world, that's what you do when someone dies. You wash their body. Now, what it does not say is that they anointed her body. We don't know why. Maybe it's because all her friends are poor. <laughs> and they don't have the money for the expensive o- anointing oils that it takes. See, when, when the women anointed Jesus' body after he died, that was a, not only was an act of service, but it was an act of financial sacrifice. Those oils were not cheap. All her friends are poor. Maybe they just don't have the money to do that. Or, or maybe... <laughs> Just maybe they thought it might not be necessary. That's why they called Peter. Hey, this woman who's done so much good in our community, she's too useful to die. Would you please come do something about this? Now, I don't know what they expected him to do. The text gives no indication of their intent. Maybe they want him to do crisis counseling because these widows are like bawling their eyes out. They love this woman. I don't know, but Peter just comes and he shows up. And I can imagine that when he gets there, the air is charged with emotion. He's immediately swarmed by this mob of widows who look at this, look at this. See how good this is, this coat. We had such a cold winter and she made this for me. And I was so warm when I had nothing and now I have this. My little one, my grandbaby didn't have swaddling clothes and she got together and got clothes for the baby. Peter says, the, the text says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Now this is where, believe it or not, this is where the text gets super interesting. Peter had been instrumental in several healings and acts. In chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. They meet a blind man on the way. They, silver and gold have I none, but what I have you, I give in the name of Jesus. Walk, and he heals the guy, and he goes running and leaping. And some of you remember the song from Sunday school. And then in, you know, in, in later, God uses Peter's shadow to heal sick people, and he, you know, he announces a death sentence on Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Holy Spirit. I mean, he'd, he'd done some miracles before. And certainly, he'd seen Jesus do basically every miracle Jesus ever did, publicly. I mean, Peter was almost always there. He'd specifically seen Jesus do three resurrections, hadn't he? Every one of the three resurrections that Jesus did, Peter witnessed, right? The widow's son at Nain, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. Before his own resurrection, Jesus did three others. Peter was there every time. And so what he does is he picks the situation that's most like what he saw Jesus do and he imitates it. Which, by the way, is not a bad example for you and me. <laughs> well, well, did Jesus, was, Jesus, was Jesus ever in a situation like this? Yeah, kind of. Okay, do that. <laughs> do what he did. That's what he does here. You know, he puts everybody out of the room. It's just like in Mark 5. He puts everybody out of the room. Remember, Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's empowered by the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So he's just imitating his Lord. Great example for us. He puts everybody out of the room. He gets down on his knees and prays. Asks God to raise this woman in the same way that Jesus raised Jairus' little girl. Peter turns toward Tabitha and says, Tabitha, get up. Now, the language here really matters. It really matters. Because Mark 5 tells us that when Jesus spoke to Jairus' daughter, he used the Aramaic language. And in Aramaic, the phrase, little girl, get up, in Aramaic is, Talitha Kumi. Peter says to this woman, Tabitha Kumi, get up, get up, and raises her from the dead. In fact, the the, the only words that describe resurrection in the New Testament are just different forms of this word, get up. (laughs) And no sooner had the words come out of his mouth than she opens her eyes, she gets up. With Peter's help, she stands to her feet. And in keeping with Jesus' example, he presents her to the church alive. Now look at verse 42. This is so important, church. Look at verse 42 in this passage. It said, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord, Now, was Tabitha herself a gifted evangelist? Could she walk up to somebody in a grocery store and lead them to Jesus before it got to her turn in the checkout aisle? Probably not, all right? Could she sing like an angel? I don't know, you know? Was she an intellectual giant and a teacher and able to craft these deep theological lessons that that sat people back on their heels and made them, wow, wow, wow? Probably not. You know, Did she have the ability to make everyone around her just feel comfortable and welcome and, and greeted and, I don't know, maybe. Did her life make a difference for the kingdom of God? Yes, absolutely. See, all of us are called to take care of the needy and to give generously and to show mercy, but for those who are truly gifted at it, for people who are really gifted at it, when you die, the church won't want to say goodbye. Can you bring them back, God? Can we have another one just like her? (laughs) If not, because we can't afford to lose that one. We need her. (laughs) Listen, we're all called to show mercy and to give generously, but those with that gift, it's almost like they have telepathy, right? Like they just have this insight into the true need, and it far exceeds those of us without those gifts. So what does that mean for us? Well, here's the truth. Before we get there, though, let me tell you a story. Professor David Kennedy of Stanford University was, was talking about the Old West, when people used to travel by stagecoach before the railroads got there. And he said you could buy three kinds of tickets in those days. You could buy a first-class ticket that guaranteed that you would get there on time or your money back with all the conveniences and comforts that the stagecoach should offer. That was first-class ticket. He said you could buy a second-class ticket, which would guarantee that you would, you would get there. We will get you there. And if we have difficulty along the way, you may have to be asked to get out of the stagecoach and just wait while we fix it, okay? Or you could buy a third-class ticket. Third-class ticket said, yeah, you'll get there eventually, and if we have trouble, you got to help. <laughs> you got to get out and shove the thing through the mud, right? You go, here's a shovel, get to work. And here's what he told these Stanford graduates. He said, you have been given a first-class education from a first-class school, You might think that you get to go on a first-class ticket through life, but you'd be wrong. He said, don't go first class. Don't even go second class. He said, go third class. Put your shoulder to the wheel, do the heavy lifting, roll up your sleeves, spit on your hands and get to work. And then he quoted Jesus, sort of. He said, Jesus said if you want to have a first-class life, the only way is to travel third class. So here's the application and we're done. We're all supposed to be generous. We're all supposed to show mercy. Some of us are gifted at it. Here's what that means. Here's the truth. Number one, if you have these gifts, don't overthink it. (laughs) If you have this gift, don't overthink this. Don't like beat yourself up. Like how should I use it? Just go with it, man. Just do it, lady. If you've got this gift, don't overthink it. Just if, like, I feel like God wants me to help this person, help them. I feel like God wants me to give to them. Cut the check. Just don't overthink it. Just go with it. If you have this gift, just go with it. You don't need to overthink it. You don't need, like, I need a strategy. Just go with it. Because if it really is the overflow of God's grace in your life, it's going to be right. What you do is going to be the right thing. (laughs) Like telepathy. Here's the second thing. If you don't have these gifts, don't second-guess those who do. If you don't have this gift, don't second-guess the people with it, all right? We'll give you an example. As my income has risen over the years, God has moved this gift of generosity up in my gifting. I'm grateful for that, I really am. I, these things are not static, by the way. It's not like you get one on the day you're baptized and that's it forever. God is sovereign. He can move them around in your life depending on what he needs you to do. And as my income has risen, God has given me a greater gift of generosity. It's still about at the middle of the list, all right? I've said before, I have confessed to you my weakness in the area of showing mercy. It is not my gift. I'm not good at it. It's, It's difficult for me, okay? Um... And, and here's the thing, now I'm, gr- I'm trying to grow in the grace of compassion, I'm trying to ha- let that be a, it's a discipline for me. I'm having to discipline myself to learn how to do it. I'm not naturally good at it, I'm not gifted at showing mercy. But if I've learned anything about it, it's this, that when I'm surrounded by people with the gift, I need to just get out of the way and, and, and then like let them by, let them get by and then follow them. Here's the deal for me, and maybe some of, I can only speak from my own experience, maybe some of you are in the same boat. Like, when when somebody with that gift, like, is near you and you don't have it, and there's a situation that requires mercy, dude, get out of the way. Just let them by, (laughs) and then follow. And I'm so grateful, even on our staff here, we have people with different, different gift mixes, and we've got some with that gift, and there are times where we need to sit there in the room and be like, okay, what do we do? Uh, I think we ought to do this. Great, let's do it. I don't, I mean, I have the gift of leadership. It's usually in the top two. But there are times where I've got to sidestep and yield that to somebody with this gift and then just run with it. Just go. Like, they've got the gift, just follow them. So if you have it, don't overthink it, man. Just go, just do it. If you don't, get out of the way for the people who do and then go help them. Like I've said before, we all need all the gifts. You want to see a great example of how these work together? Sometimes the people with the gift of generosity don't always know the best place for that money to go. But the people with the gift of mercy do. And they can direct it. And sometimes the people with the gift of mercy don't have the resources they need to accomplish the vision that God is is giving them. But the people with the gift of generosity do. And these things can come together and it's almost like the church can read people's minds, man. They you know exactly what to do with it. Now, we have three opportunities this week for you to exercise this discipline. If, like me, this, is a, this has to be an area of discipline for you. And Now, some of you have this gift, and you're going to be like, oh, what's he going to say? What can we do? Okay. Uh, the rest of you have to, like, okay, like, i got to make a decision. Three things you could do this week. Number one, as you leave today, if you didn't get a purple bag, uh, the Elshers are going to hand that to you Is to chip in for Chapelwood. Those are due back next week. It's a way that we can just partner with the school to bless them. It's a, it's a great, I mean, I've, been in, I've done ministry in other parts of the country where you're not allowed to do this as a church. This is awesome. This is an incredible privilege that we have to serve the school district this way. So you have an opportunity to do that. Those are due back next Sunday, okay? Also next Sunday, Chapel Rock is hosting a blood drive, all right? Now, this is, is, is vital. Some of you, like this, w- there's a shortage in Indiana right now. The Indiana Blood Center is saying we just don't have enough. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. I don't care how generous you are, you can't buy blood. There's, you, can't, you can't go to a factory and make it. This, it the, only way, the only way they can have that resource is if people donate, and, and the blood mobile will be here next Sunday morning, okay? Uh, and so uh, there's a kiosk in the lobby if you want to sign up for a time slot uh, to, to donate blood. Uh, we do that. And then also, just a great way to be involved in the community, just to connect with people out there. Uh, the Flapjacks 5K is coming up August 3rd. Uh, we could still use some volunteers for people to kind of stand at turning points on the race course and direct runners and walkers on to do that. Now, here's the deal. The proceeds from that race help, are going to help finish the, the B&O trail that runs along the southern edge of our property. Let me share my vision of, for this. When that's, here's the deal. To come to Chapel Rock, you kind of need a car right? To come here, you kind of need wheels. There's just not, there's not a lot of sidewalks. When that thing gets done, anybody with feet, or even if they don't have feet and they got a wheelchair like Professor X, can get here, all right? And so, it, it's, it's, it's good. I'm personally passionate about it. It's a great thing for the community, but it, it, it helps us accomplish our vision of seeing the whole community whole in Christ. And so we just need a few more people to help do that. Uh, You can go to our website and and sign up or just call the office and and let us know that that's coming. Here's the point in all this, okay? The church needs people who are focused on the needs of others. That's the big idea. Some of you have the spiritual superpower of telepathy. You just have a heart to meet needs, (laughs) comes out different ways. It's God's grace. Just go with it. Others of you maybe don't have it. So would you this week make a commitment with me to just get out of the way and let people with that gift kind of lead us there. And some of you don't have this because maybe you don't even have the Spirit. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And if that's you, this time is for you. We're going to stand and sing together. If you've never made a, a decision to follow Jesus, to have Him put these powers into your life, You've got an opportunity to do it right now. We're gonna stand and sing together and if if you wanna follow Christ, you come to the front. Now our decision counselors will be down here so maybe you've got a prayer need. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and just want someone to pray with you about something, you can come. You might wanna talk to a leader, you can go to the next step room. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna sing together and you respond as God leads you. Through every battle, every heartbreak, to every circumstance. I believe that you you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. I believe you are the way. True, the life I believe through every blessing, through every promise, through every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, oh, you are protector, you are the one. Hey